0: This season of the Curiosity Club podcast is sponsored by Simprove. Simprove is committed to furthering the understanding of the function and role of the gut microbiome by using a scientific approach to developing the most effective bacteria-based product. Put simply, Simprove helps to support your gut microbiome and balance your gut bacteria. What I love about it is its water-based formulation that contains four unique strains of live-activated bacteria. Because of this unique formulation, Simprove will not trigger digestion, meaning the bacteria will arrive to your gut unharmed and infill strength. Survive the harsh acidic environment that is your stomach and thrive in your gut to colonize successfully. Simprove's 12-week program will give you the best chance of nourishing your gut bacteria and supporting your gut microbiome. The more I learn about gut health, the more important I realise it is. And I'm currently in my 12-week programme and I love knowing that I am supporting and topping up the good bacteria that lives within me. If you want to join me on your own programme, Simprove have been kind enough to give all you lovely curious folk a special 15% discount for a limited time using the code CURIOSITYCLUB15. Welcome to the Curiosity Club Podcast, a safe place for the real life lessons that we didn't get taught in school. Each season, I have conversations with inspiring experts who share their wisdom around our seven peaks of curiosity. Together, we learn how to break the patterns, habits, and mindsets that limit our potential, hinder our happiness, and impact our well-being. I'm your host, Life and Business Coach Katri Barrett, and these are the life lessons for modern humans. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 7. Welcome back, you curious lot. If you're joining us for the first time, an extra warm welcome to you. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss out on future episodes. A quick reminder for anyone who hasn't left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes yet, if you do so before the 31st of August 2020, you can be in with the chance of winning a 12-week Simproof program to support your gut health. All you have to do is take a screenshot and tag us in it over on Instagram. You can see the show notes for more details. Today's episode topic is a personal one for me and that is self-harm. After a long time trying and struggling to find an expert to talk about this with I was introduced to self-harm expert and mental health educator Satvir Nijjar. Satvir is the founder of Attention Seekers which offers bespoke self-harm awareness training to schools, workplaces and institutions. I've wanted to start the conversation around self-harm for a really long time, because I don't see it spoken about enough, especially in sort of everyday places, for something that is so prevalent. Whilst there's lots of mental health content around nowadays, which is fantastic, I still think there's certain aspects of it that don't get enough airtime, and this is very much one of them. Whilst I have spoken a lot about my mental health struggles in the past, here on the podcast and over on my social media, this is the first time I've directly spoken about the fact that I used to self-harm. My arms are still full of very visible scars from where I used to cut myself. And I'm not alone. I've definitely got an attuned eye to other people's scars when I'm on the tube or when I meet someone. Self-injury or poisoning is a much more common problem than people realise – especially within adults. It's not just a teenage thing. I want to record this episode to start the conversation here on the Curiosity Club, to help people feel less alone if they're struggling, find hope that they can recover, and also to remove some stigma and equip anyone who might know a loved one or a friend or a colleague who is self-harming how they can better support them, the do's and the don'ts say. If you think this episode might be triggering for you, then please feel free to join back with us next week. And I've included a list of resources and websites with extra support for anyone struggling within the show notes. As always, please feel free to reach out to myself or Satvia to talk about anything mentioned in this episode. And I will see you next time. Just a quick note, most of the interviews were recorded during lockdown over Zoom, which isn't the best for audio. So please do excuse the sound quality. We were doing the best with what we had. Well, welcome to the Curiosity Club, Satvia. It's so nice to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. We were just talking about the beautiful weather and being very British and <laughs> before we got started that we've got in the UK at the moment. But to kick things off properly, why don't you um, start by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do and what led you to where you are today?
1: Oh, it feels like a dating exercise. <laughs> uh, so I'm Satvia, uh, 38 from Wolverhampton, originally Nottingham, um, but I deliver self-harm awareness training nationally. So um, I deliver to professionals of all backgrounds, not just education and health staff, but all backgrounds, workplaces are becoming more common now as I do more work on mental health. and also go a lot into schools and deliver to young people, so PSHG sessions. So if you remember back to school when we used to have the talk on don't do drugs and don't have sex, um, all of them kind of things, I raise awareness about mental health, self-harm and suicide awareness. Um, and also on top of that, I do things like this, um, raising awareness about mental health. And I share a bit of my own story as well, just to break stigma and say it's okay to talk and there's no shame in experiencing mental health difficulties.
0: Mm, and okay, and that's why I, I was so keen to invite you on and, and speak to you. And it's some, this is an episode and a topic that I have wanted to explore in my work and in, in the Curiosity Club for a very long time. Firstly, because as you said, it's something that I just don't think it's talked about enough. I don't certainly don't see it in uh, being spoken about, kind of in the well-being space generally. In certain areas, it is, but it's not kind of as I don't think it, it's talked about enough or in the way that it should. And whilst I have always been very open about my own personal experiences with mental health. Um, And mental health issues in the past I haven't actually ever spoken about the fact that I used to self-harm for many many years and I still have many I still bear the the scars from it Um, so it is something that I am, am really looking forward to and kind of to unpack with you a little bit here today and just start having the conversations opening up the this conversation on this platform because I think it needs to be had more often. Can you kind of start I think by just defining what self-harm is what and how you know what the different forms are and what is the difference something we've talked about um, when we spoke before is the difference between self-harm and risk-taking behaviors can you dive into that a little bit
1: for yeah, 100% because I think that's a big thing um, when I deliver training as well we spend a lot of time looking at a definition like 45-50 minutes because it's easy just to throw the phrase around and a lot of us do self-harm or they're self-harming or I've heard about self-harm but how often do we actually stop to think about what it is that we are talking about so self-harm depending on what you're looking at where you're getting your information from can mean array of things Um, but I'm going to narrow down that definition I'm going to go more with the NICE guidelines Um, so NICE and the National Institute of Clinical Healthcare and Excellence so their definition looks at self harm as self poisoning and self injury. So, um, you know, just be aware I'm going to openly talk about self harm. Um, we're looking at things like cutting, burning, scratching, head banging, hair pulling, um, and things like self injury. And then the self poisoning, things like overdosing on medications and drinking substances you shouldn't drink, like bleach and shampoo and things like that. And together, these form self harm behaviours. Um, We're not going to be talking about wider forms of self-harm, which is what you can call the drugs, alcohol and eating disorders. The the intentions and the triggers can be the same for both. You know, the functions of the behaviour can be the same um, for drugs, alcohol and eating disorders as they can be for someone who's cutting. And the risk-taking that you mentioned, what kind of things do you mean by risk-taking?
0: Well, I think when we we had a brief sort of discussion before and and I was, again, Wondering what the different definitions are, and and things like we talked about, kind of sleeping around and having sex with lots of different people, and there were there was a few other things that when we kind of unpacked and you you defined it as that's that's not in the realms of the nice guidelines that you, that you work. So yeah. that's quite interesting too. I think highlight that for people so that they can recognise within themselves and other people the difference between self harm in this context and and this within this definition, and also what they can acknowledge and begin to observe risk taking behaviours. Yeah.
1: So the kind of behaviours you just mentioned, whether it's sexual risk-taking, criminal risk-taking, sabotaging relationships, provoking fights, going missing, and stuff like that, can cause harm to the individual. There's lots of harmful behaviours, harmful to oneself, you know. but that's not the same as self-harm. So these types of behaviours, if someone you know is engaging in them types of behaviours, that doesn't mean that they're self-harming. We need to be concerned about them, potentially, because that may be an indicator that this person's going through some form of distress and they're seeking something from engaging in these risk-taking behaviours. Also, the risk-taking behaviours that we've just mentioned may lead to harm to the individual by others. You know, when you've got grooming and modern-day slavery and county lines with younger people, abuse, all these kind of things. Um, and also, engaging in risk-taking behaviours may lead the individual to turn to the wider forms of self-harm, drugs and alcohol, develop an eating disorder, and or start self-harming in the forms that we'll be talking about shortly. So it's not about saying, OK, because they're not self-harm, we're going to ignore them. It's about saying, right, why is this person not settling down in one relationship. And you know what, looking at sex, because it does come up a lot, for someone it might just be that they just want to experiment and have a good time and that's just who they are. And that's absolutely fine. But it's just about being aware that it might for some people mean that they are going through something and they're struggling to manage their emotions and picking up on it, not waiting for it to turn into something more recognisable. Like, oh, that's it, they're cutting themselves Got a problem there? All they're taking drugs, or they've got an eating disorder, or they're you know drinking too much. It's about taking them, taking notice of them early signs.
0: Mm. And, and I suppose then it sounds like so. It potentially for some people could lead and kind of. Uh, uh, on that scale as you said go through those different stages so it's about noticing the signs recognizing them and hopefully preventing
1: people from from going through those. yeah I think we've all got the potential to do anything <laughs> you know to some degree or the things to develop to some degree I think it's not about looking at what it might lead to it's about saying okay this is what I recognize I'm going to just step in and just simply mentioning someone I'm a little bit worried about you Something as simple as that. Not I'm just a little bit worried that this may lead on to you self-harming and then becoming suicidal. It's just I say, I'm just a little bit worried about you. I'm here for you if you need to chat.
0: Yeah, totally. And when it comes to self-harm, so as, as it, under the NICE guidelines, so that um, the self-poisoning, the self-cutting uh, sort of behaviours, self-injury, yeah. self-injury behaviours, yeah. how kind of common is that and who, who does it
1: affect? I mean, you know what, earlier, because I'm not prepared, I was trying to find the most up-to-date statistics, and I thought I'm just going to be honest with you. It depends on where you look at your stats. You know, a lot of the statistics are with individuals aged under 24. In the UK, you've got everything from 1 in 5, 1 in 10, 1 in 4, 1 in 8, 1 in 12. It depends on what you're eating, yeah? And the Lancet produced um, a study... I think it was back in 2014, that found that approximately 6% of the population have self-harmed in the UK at some point. But the vast majority of these studies are based upon hospital admissions and GP contacts. And we know most people won't have that contact. I think the point is we know it's happening. It is prevalent. When I go into schools and I say to young people, put your hand up if you know someone who's self-harmed, and half of half of a year group minimum is raising their hands when i deliver to adults and even though they're there as professionals and i say put your hand up if you know someone personally who self harm and half of the room's putting their hand up i think that shows the prevalence of you know self-harm the stats they're there um but i'll be honest i'm not happy to quote any other than you know i guess one in ten young people under the age of you know 24 um, 16 to 24 year old women have got the highest rates of self-harm um, it's it's the numbers because you can argue well that what does that mean after 24 nobody self-harms well yes they do it's just that they don't come forwards because in the media is commonly portrayed as a teenage issue and less you in prison or on a psychiatric unit and then it's happening to adults as well that's why I'd be cautious with the statistics, yes, they are there, and they do help drive training and funding, etc, but we shouldn't get bogged down with it. The key thing is it's happening, it's happening to people you and I both know mm,
0: exactly, and I think I totally agree that sometimes sometimes the sort of statistic can help people who maybe don't realize that it's happening, and I suppose that that's what i 'm trying with, especially with this episode, I suppose and everyone that's listening. It, if they, if it, especially people who don't know anyone who has, and this might be sort of a, n- a new subject for them to realize it is happening, and it is, and these conversations need to have uh, need to be happening so that people can realize a for the people to be able to support anyone that perhaps is experiencing it, but also for those who know that they are displaying these behaviours themselves that it, it, they're
1: not, you know. Um, to, to feel comfortable. alone. You know? It's not, yeah. not rare. Yeah. I can, I can yeah. tell you, it's not a rare thing. We're not talking one in a million here. We're looking at one in eight, one in 10, one in 12 are the wide, most widely circulated figures of self-harm of under 24 year olds. Whichever one you take is not a nice figure. You know, What are we waiting for? Is it when it becomes one in three that we go, oh no, now it's a real problem. One in eight people. That's, I'm a family of eight you know so I come from a family of eight should I say I have not got seven children rolling around um, oh I've just got the one who's enough for seven um, but I think it's you know one in eight is quite a significant number um, and that's just being conservative
0: mm. Ex- Exactly and I think as you, as you read the numbers are, because of the, all the stigma and the sort of shame I think that's around it I, I as, a, as you would say would, would go to say that probably this it's lot higher than that in reality and something that I always kind of wonder the curious aspect within me that's always there and is someone who's who's gone through this myself in in the past is why is it that some people go turn to sort of self-harm and some people don't is that something that you kind of explore within your work or that you're beginning to see patterns or understand what what would you say what would be your thoughts on that
1: Why do some people cry in the Lion King and other people don't? (laughs) You know, (laughs) why do some people scream on roller coasters and others don't? You know, why do some people like jumping out of airplanes and others don't? We're individuals, you know, there are individual differences. It's not about strength or weakness, it's about individual differences, biological, chemical makeup, alongside experiences, and just the way we are. You know, it's not I've self harmed, that doesn't make me weak, you've self harmed, that doesn't make you weak. People might hear our stories and they might go, I went through that, but I didn't turn to it, because I'm strong. No, it might be that you're built differently to us. You had a different set of support systems around you. You know, you got some help earlier in different ways, very subtle ways. I'm not talking necessarily about therapists, You know, that you had friends who checked up on you earlier, or family members, or you were able to get out of whatever the situation was. You got different opportunities. I think there's a whole host of reasons. Wouldn't it be great to say, oh yes, there's this faulty gene? Yeah, it's a faulty gene, <laughs> you know, or it's, you know, something to do with height or weight or eye colour or it's it's it isn't. It's individual differences. And I think again, it's not something in my opinion that we should home into much on. Instead we should look at, okay, when we know someone is struggling, how do we support them? Mm-hmm. Not why are they doing it and so and so isn't people mm-hmm. are just different.
0: Totally. And actually, I think, yeah, hearing your response there made me realise that that is not the right question to be answering. The why isn't necessarily, it's the how, looking forward, how can we help, how can we support? And, you know, what you touched upon there about the people maybe being dismissive and thinking it as a, as a weakness, something that I've grown through my own self-healing journey is I very much now kind of, the scars that I hold from years ago, see it as a, the strength that I've overcome this and the strength and the power. And, and I have so much admiration for other people who, who, kind of go through the, the, that hardship and uh oh sorry diff- all, all hardships and that not as, as well not just talking about self-harm but and I think it's it's very much that the stigma around it and you mentioned already today the kind of the media's part in it but I'm wondering what what else do you think is feeding the stigma and the taboo and what needs to happen in order for it to become kind of less so and, 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 and have these conversations more that need to be happening and the change that needs, needs to happen.
1: I think what feeds, this just again my personal opinion, I think what feeds the stigma and the taboo is what feeds all stigmas and taboos is fear lack of understanding, lack of knowledge. I think it's that when we don't understand something, the easiest thing to do is attack it or ignore it, you know, because you're scared of it. So it's easy to go, it's whatever, you know. You can look at the current climate now with all the Black Lives Matter and all this kind of fear in what's happening and, you know, people's comebacks and the racist abuse people are receiving. It's because of the lack of understanding, in my opinion. And when we look at things like self-harm, you know, when I've I delivered training now for ad hoc 14 years. You know, that's a long time. Over the last five, six, seven years, it's all I've ever done. And I have time and time again seen people say, I don't understand it. I just don't get it and that not understanding drives people to come out with certain phrases and terms and I spend a lot of time in training talking about language use oh it's just attention seeking oh it's just a cry for help it's just a phase it's just a trend they'll get over it if they meant it they would do it properly it's a teenage girl thing it didn't happen when I was younger oh all these things I've just rolled off I hear time and time again and what they don't realise is these phrases are creating barriers to people engaging with support. Because if you're sitting next to someone and, you know, I'm not talking about teenagers here because, you know, this is aimed, our chat today is aimed towards adults. And I think there are so many adults in workplaces, in colleges, and universities who are scared to come forward and talk about what's going on with them, whether they're self-harming or not, but, you know, mental health issues, emotional distress, because of the fear of being labelled and seen as being weak. Or they may be surrounded by people who are very, you know, educated. It's not about lack of education, necessarily. You know, you can be very educated and hold these views. It's about people then sitting there in a circle discussing topics like this and going, yeah, but it is attention-seeking, isn't it? Not realising the person you're sitting next to is self-harming. And now they're looking at you thinking, oh, shit, I'm never going to talk to you about this, you know? And that could be their best mate. So I think being aware of the language that you use, you know, gaining knowledge and being honest and saying, you know what, I don't fully understand it. Now I don't fully understand substance misuse. I appreciate why people turn towards drugs, but I don't fully understand it. But I know I don't have to take up drugs to be able to understand I'm just going to educate myself a little bit more. I've never had an eating disorder, but I can educate myself on it to be able to support someone else and have that empathy. And with self-harm, I think it is just about educating yourself and understanding that in that moment for the individual, it serves positive functions. You don't need to do it. You may never do it. You don't have to agree with it to support someone. I think that's the other thing as well. Just because you're supporting a friend who's self-harming doesn't mean you're going to be holding up a placard going, go self-harm, go. You know, I advocate for it. It's just not saying I get you and I appreciate right now that's what you need to do, but I want to help keep you safe and support you.
0: Mm. So so much of what you just said in there, I think is so, so many important reminders for people that you don't need to understand it, you don't need to agree with it, but you can still support it. And I think, as you said, it's that education and lack of knowledge that people are afraid to it's one of those things i think it's the the fear around it is just like don't look at it don't talk about it don't acknowledge it that british thing if you don't talk about it it's not there
1: and also or the opposite if we acknowledge it it's going to encourage them to keep doing it and it's so sad that i still have medical professionals come on my courses and share stories with me about you know we were taught that that's what i'll say we were taught that Don't give them that empathy and that care because the nice guidelines, a lot of them actually came about around self-harm because it was found that individuals presenting to the emergency department weren't being given the same care, empathy and compassion and dignity and respect that those who presented with the exact same injury, say, not through self-harm were because it was seen as you did it to yourself, you don't deserve the care and compassion. Thankfully, things are changing massively. I know there'll be people listening to this going, rubbish, I was down at my hospital last week and they, you know, we know there's still incidents where things aren't great. But massive steps are being taken. But just because you acknowledge it doesn't mean you're supporting it or encouraging it. You know, we've got to remember that you're helping keep someone safe. So I suppose with that then, building
0: building upon that, what what is it that people need to know What who, to, to educate? Let's start with, and as I think... <clears throat> It's sort of the two two areas here. Let's start a bit for individuals who um, don't self-harm themselves. What do those individuals need
1: to need to know? Um, I'll, I'll use an analogy that a lot of trainers who deliver around self-harm use. Uh, it's called the crap day analogy. So work with McCattery. You can be my person. Um, it, it, I want all listeners to be thinking about last time they had a crap day, okay, and um, a lot of people on their crap they have a go-to moment, don't we? Like, when I get home, I'm going to, yeah? That kind of thing. So, like, my go-to moment is, and don't judge me here, um, I scream at my kid. Yeah, She's a full-ass grown woman now, you know, she's 19, so she's not like five. So I shout at her, I pick on her about left everything, breathing too loudly, blinking too slowly, whatever. I eat junk food and I smoke cigarettes Well, I'm vape now. What's your go to? So you've had a really bad day. What do you think to yourself? What's your go-to? You know? You'll definitely be eating it. it'll definitely be eating in probably a glass of wine. There you go, right? And why do you do these things?
0: Just to make, just make yourself feel better, escape
1: the day. Yeah. Feel better and escape. Yeah. So for me it's the same, takes my mind off it, you know, feel better, I deserve it. And it worked before. Relate that to self harm. Okay, is, is it fair to say, actually, forget self-harm for a minute, is it fair to say you do what you do on your bad day because it's your coping mechanism? Totally. Yeah, It, it works. Someone else might be going, I go to the gym. You know, someone else might be able to go for a walk, I chat to my mate. Why? Because it's your coping mechanism. It's your control you can control the traffic, the people, the two metres going down to one metre, but not one metre, one metre plus. You can't control, you know, the queues. You can't control the lack of bread in the supermarket. You can't control that meeting, but you can control what wine you drink, what TV show you watch. It's a distraction. It takes your mind off all the crap that happened. It's a release Maybe not what you're doing, but when I shout at my daughter, as wrong as it sounds, I do get a release. For someone else, it might be through exercise or slamming things around. It's self-punishment. We Shouldn't be drinking on a school night, you know? We shouldn't be exercising when we've got injuries. We shouldn't be staying up until four o'clock in the morning, binge-watching telly, but there we are. And in that moment, it works, but then the next day you suffer. It's a way to feel something, other than the crappy feelings you're feeling. It's a way of communicating your distress. When I walk in and I start screaming at my kid about nothing, she knows I've had a crap day. Someone else walks in and they go straight to bed, they're communicating they've had a bad day. And even if you live by yourself, you're communicating to you. You're know, you telling you you've had a crap day. And it's all them functions that I've mentioned is why someone self-harms. I used to cut, and I cut because that was my control, my distraction, my release, my self-punishment. And if you're supporting someone who self-harms or know someone who self-harms, that is what's behind that behaviour for them. In that moment, they're trying to cope with their distress. They're trying to manage that distress. And yes, it may not be the most healthiest method. It's not what we would want to do ourselves. It's not what we'd promote. But in that moment, that is what is keeping that person going. And it's not the same as suicide either. So I think a lot of people have that are they going to end up killing themselves that's it that's the next step this is escalation is there a link 100 you know we know people who self-harm are more likely to die by suicide than people who don't self-harm but me as a smoker i'm more likely to get a lung-related disease than a non-smoker but we know non-smokers get lung-related diseases you know self-harm is a vulnerability factor to suicide it's not the sole indicator and most people who self-harm Those who are having suicidal thoughts, they've actually said, the self-harm stopping me from taking my own life It's keeping me alive. If I didn't have this, I would have done something by now, or I will do something. And you can't assume someone's suicidal or not, just whether they're they're self-harming or not. Someone may not be self-harming and be suicidal. Someone can be self-harming and not be suicidal. If you're concerned, you need to ask. People are scared of that as well. So I think it's understanding the functions if you're supporting someone, what's behind it for them. Because once you get that, and you can have that conversation. You know what, I've never done it before, but on my crap day, I play PlayStation and I shoot people because it's my distraction and my control. Can you relate to that? You know, And you're showing them you're trying to understand instead of going, you need to stop doing that. Because you're literally telling someone to stop coping. And then encouraging them, obviously, to seek any support for medical injuries. That's important. And they shouldn't be shamed about that either. Or guilted, not using language like, oh, done it again. You were doing so well. You might think you're saying something positive, but they may hear in their vulnerable state, you're a failure, you're crap. You know what that's going to lead to? Self-harm. And then you get this negative perpetuating cycle. So, yeah, I think understanding medical attention, no shame, no guilt, and just being there you don't have to fix you know it's about saying i'm here for you that's what I think
0: yeah, no, and there's so many so many I think important things that people can take away if they're worried about a loved one there. I think that that idea of just showing up, trying to listen, listen that starting point of listening before kind of. Mm-hmm. Turning it on you, and that this this is what I do, but also the yeah the no guilt, the no shame, and and I, I think that's I, I will include. I'll get you, Sadvia to uh, recommend some some useful links that people
1: who they can yeah, I can put some, some excellent websites out there and apps and talks, you know, um, that promote and show people who have been supporting individuals who self harm, whether that's young people or adults, alongside professionals, alongside those with lived experience as well. And I think it's just about remembering that self-harm is, I've always said it in training, self-harm is a symptom of underlying distress. It's not the problem. It's a symptom. And if you simply focus on the symptom, you are missing the point, you know? And that's really, if I, we always talk about crying. If I start crying now and you go, here's a tissue, let's pretend we can pass it through. Uh, Here's a tissue, yeah? And I wipe my face. I am not better and anybody who's been on my training will go, oh, she goes with her analogies again. But it's true. I'm not better. And if you just keep giving me a tissue every time I cry, what I might learn is don't cry in front of her. And you might walk off going, I've won. See, I knew I fixed her. She's not crying anymore. I just cry in secret. And what you never did was deal with why I was crying in the first place. It's getting to the bottom of it.
0: Uh, so seeing it as a, as a symptom and that... And, uh, yeah i'm taking action from them i think, and i will include those links i'll put them in the show notes so that if anyone kind of does know anyone that they want to support a loved one then then they kind of have a have a bit of a toolbox of places to be able to show again not telling them go to these places but it sounds like just just having um that and showing that you care through that you're there and supporting them through um giving them as well options and so what would be if, if Your kind of advice for those who are know that they are they can recognize sort of self-harming behaviors, self-injury behaviours within themselves. What are some things that they can do? What's the process of recovery? What are the steps they can take?
1: So if someone who is self-harming is listening and they're thinking, right, how can I support myself? What can I do? It's really difficult because everybody is so unique and everybody's self-harm is so unique so there's not one response that fits everybody also when we look at recovery that will mean different things to different people and it doesn't necessarily mean stopping self-harming which might sound absurd absurd to people who don't self-harm they're like what do you mean how can you recover without stopping because it's about management um, you know and dealing with the underlying issues as well if you're self-harming firstly know that you can overcome it with support if that is what you choose to do but the key first and foremost is staying medically safe you know and reducing risk there's no safe way of self-harming and you know this is coming from someone with a history of self-harm you know there is no safe way of self-harming and you've got to be aware of that so where possible you know, do try and reduce risk to yourself. So not using dirty implements, you know, being mindful of what you're taking, but knowing that those individuals who do self-poison, there's no safe level of self-poisoning and making sure that you do get medical attention um, if you require it. And if you're not sure to call services like 111, you know, to reach out for help. Aside from the medical um, issues that we talk about it's about dealing with the underlying issue the first step yeah I can sit here and go oh you need to go and talk to someone it's easy isn't it to do that you know it's go and talk go and talk but that's not easy so you might think I've got nobody or you might have a great set of people around you but you just don't feel you can take that step because you're scared they're going to see you differently you're scared they might see you as weak and all this might be totally incorrect because they're there to support you but the great thing is you're not alone. And I'm really pleased that, you know, Catherine, you're going to be sharing some of the useful websites and stuff because there are text messages, services. You've got the crisis messenger line. You've got brilliant organisations, Um like, um, if I stop listing them, I'm going to miss people. help, um, So I'm not going to list them all. But there's brilliant organisations that you can contact. Yeah, I will. Like Mind, Young Minds, Samaritans, Papyrus, Calm, Andy's Mans Club. There's so many different organisations out there who can provide confidential support. And that might be your first step, just to see that you're not on your own. But I would say it's about dealing with those underlying issues. And it can take time. So, in the interim, it's about reducing the risk, trying to find alternative strategies. Um, so, when you have the urge to self harm, what else can you do? And if someone's listening and supporting someone, going, wonderful, write all these alternative strategies. I read about one of these pinging an elastic band on your wrist. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. You can't just go up to someone self harming or someone self harming. You can't just read a load of strategies and go, today's the day I've decided I'm going to stop doing whatever to myself, and I'm going to ping an elastic band or punch a pillow. It's about understanding what these strategies are about. So it's about finding not a different way to cut or burn or scratch or overdose. It's about finding a different way to achieve the same functions self-harm was giving you. So to find a different way to get a control or a release or a distraction or a self-punishment. And different people will find it in different ways. And there's some great apps out there like Calm Harm and the Distract app that are specifically designed for people to self-harm, that suggest some of these functions. But what I would say to you is, you're not a failure if it doesn't work. Even if you try it once and it works once, that's one less time you hurt yourself. But you've got to understand, you've got to be able to deal with the underlying issue when you're ready, get support for it, reframe it, And that might mean talking to a friend or it might mean talking to a psychiatrist. It depends on what your issue is. But you do need to deal with that issue Um, and then progress can be made. And that is different to different people. I still think about self-harming. I'm not sure about yourself. I still have, you know, strong thoughts about self-harm and things get bad. I self-harmed a year ago. I haven't for a year, but I thought about it. You know, pandemic happened, work got cancelled, financial difficulties... But I didn't. And that to me are signs of recovery. I'm able to overcome difficult situations. But if I had self-harmed, I haven't failed. I think people must remember that.
0: I, uh, thank you so much for sharing all this. And I completely agree. And I think I mean, it, it, this is useful and, and relevant for us. I, I like that we're both having this kind of open conversation with it. And I, exactly the same as you, I... It, it's still so ingrained, I think, in me as a as a and as someone who knows how habits are formed with us in a habit. That when I in extreme times, when I have am feeling a particular surge of emotion that's uncomfortable, it is almost like a fleet, like a, a flash in in my mind and that of a go to. And I th- and it comes up as a thought. And I have it. It probably has, yeah, been it's, it has been many years, not since I was a teenager, but it is it deals t- even over 10 years now it still comes up as a flash like but you could do this you could do this and I completely agree and I think it's being kind to yourself it sounds like everything you said that's the, one of the most kind and compassionate to yourself and anyone else who who, you, who is experiencing um, these types of behaviours is the fundamental thing I think throughout this talked about not judging yourself as a failure and that that not not judging yeah just judgment i think isn't it Mm -hmm. but also finding those coping coping strategies and for me that that self-knowledge and self-understanding that working on my the understanding myself and my inner thoughts and, and emotions doing a kind of even understanding the emotions that make me feel like this and when i can feel those emotions knowing okay if I, it, what are the things that make me kind of release that? For me now, which I never thought, running is very much something. Which God, if I told me that ten years ago, <laughs> I would never have thought that. Um, but I, yeah, it certainly is something that for me has has never has. A, whilst the behaviour itself isn't there, it, the thoughts still come up for me, and I, you know, I want to share that with people to know that it, you, you're not, you are. You're not alone. You're not strange. You're not weird. You're not abnormal. Just be kind to yourself.
1: No, I, I totally agree. And you know that running that you mentioned, well done, you. I downloaded the coach Couch Couch five k app for the pandemic and did it once. <laughs> <So> that's <laughs> what started that
0: three years ago. That's
1: what I mean it. Yeah, that is
0: the app that did it for me because. But I think I, did, it didn't, I didn't do it in the exact eight weeks, yeah. but I went back to it a couple of times. And that has now, I can now run 10, 12K is the 1st I've ever run in one go, which again, if you told me that, even yeah. three years ago, I'd be like, God, no, I hate I hate running. But part of the reason why I like it, I still, I still go through that. I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. But the yeah. reason why I love running is not only does it, I find it burns off my anxiety, literally, yeah. but it also, it teaches me that I can have thoughts and they can be there, but I don't need to act upon them. So I can have thoughts like I hate this. I don't want to go for a run. I'm gonna stop. I'm just gonna stop. And they can be there, yet I can still carry on running. And then afterwards I feel so good because of I've achieved I've I've coped with those thoughts yeah. and feelings and not acted upon them.
1: And also, you know, when you look at running what it gives you, that control, that distraction, that release. So we're going back again to them functions that we spoke about. I mean, I don't run. I get it from, um, I play FIFA with my daughter. And I aim to get as many players sent off as I can in one match. So satisfying, honestly. (laughs) And I get the same release and distraction doing that. So some people run, some people do dirty tackles on FIFA. Whatever works for you, you know. But the point is, we're achieving the same thing you know we're overcoming our distress and people will always see things differently and people will always judge oh well you know that's not very healthy savvy you should do running and other people like me will judge you for running <laughs> because I don't have it in me to run but the main thing is we're overcoming our distress um, without harming ourselves um, but if you are hurting yourself you can get to that stage but you need to deal with the underlying issue and be kind to those who are struggling. Mm-hmm,
0: absolutely, and I think on that that note, that wonderful note. There's been so so many different things, and I think to finish is a question I like. A few questions I like to ask um, everyone. And firstly, and you've you've given so much advice already, but what would be your biggest bit? And this can be sort of more general advice, but for anyone listening, what what would what would that be?
1: Don't give up on you, and don't give up on others. That's be nice. I think you know. Don't underestimate power of being nice and the impact of being nice that's what started my journey of engagement with individuals and opening up were people who were nice to me not job titles not how many years i would known them not anything like that it was pure simple niceness and that starts with a smile and I mean smile at strangers you know I'm working at Asda at the moment and I've put a rod in my own back you know this pandemic because I smile at every customer going you know which means everyone approaches me but I'd rather do that you know because I don't know if I've made a difference to someone's day so whether it's a stranger or someone you know be nice and check in with people um, yeah and be kind
0: I love that be, be nice to yourself be nice to others simple yet mm. very important <laughs> another question that I like to ask everyone is what does curiosity mean to you and how do you think it is helpful could be helpful
1: what it means to me is it's not being content with simply the information that you're being presented with yeah wanting to know more I like to know things from different angles I'm a big believer of seeing things from all sides you know which is bizarre you know so I I always want to see it from the person who doesn't get it from the person who does get it from the person who agrees, disagrees and then forming an opinion and I think curiosity is essential and it's sad that for so many people it's associated with the under fives you know that they're curious about the world and life and then as adults what we're not meant to be curious anymore be curious, remain curious question everything around you and find out as much as you can. And you don't need to have PhDs after your name and stuff. Just read things and look at different sources and, you know, talk to people. Be curious about people around you. I love people, you know. People are fascinating. Be curious. So that's what it means to me.
0: I love that, I love that. Seeing everything from everyone's different perspectives, which you've got to talk to people to be able to do that right. So, yeah, I totally love that and resonate with it hugely. That's what The Curious Club is all about.
1: Um, Tell everyone something, where can people find you? Where can people find your work? I've got a website, www.sac.com. Vne.com. and people are going knee what um, literally just google satvia self-harm and something should come up lots of benefits of having a strange name um, I'm on the social medias as well uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter again just sat via so yeah um i work nationally right across the uk have to go international as well don't you worry people um <laughs> deliver in all sorts of places including your workplaces there's a lot on workplace wellbeing at the moment Um so it's not just schools and healthcare as i said at the beginning but yeah i'm happy to have a chat with anybody if they want one
0: brilliant and i will, I will again I'm going to get in touch with this, get all the links that you mentioned for those, those useful websites and resources. And I'll also pop your um, website in there as well. So anyone who listening to this wants to get in touch, they can just click straight through. But thank you so, so much, Satvia, for coming on and um, talking to us. I think it's, it's been such an insightful and important episode.
1: I just want to say thank you for your patience. I know you've been trying to do this for a while and it's so good that you're doing these podcasts and supporting people because especially at time of pandemic, you know, people need to know that they're not alone. Being able to tune into something like this on different topics is so important. So keep up the fab work. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a rating and review letting me know what your biggest takeaways were. I love reading each and every one. Thank you to Simprove for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget that you can get 15% off with discount code CuriosityClub15. As we're all curious folk around here, why not head over to Simprove.com to find out more. Until next time, stay curious.